0: Hey everybody, Mitch Newman here. Welcome to another dynamic, exciting, scintillating, stimulating episode of Mondays of Mitch, where we unpack and repack what it means to be a leader today. Not 30 years ago, not 40 years ago. What does it mean to lead yourself, and if you choose to then lead other people at a higher level, level of consciousness. What would that look like? So I am super excited because today I'm starting my interview series where I will seek out some of the most interesting people that I've ever met or haven't met but find fascinating. Their stories are just through the roof of people who are leading themselves at the highest levels. And I'm super excited for my first interview, which I'm doing today is with Josh Perry. And Josh is a BMX rider, now retired, who has quite an interesting story and really uh, led himself on a path of discovery, self-discovery, a path of wellness and health as to address some challenges that a lot of people don't necessarily have to address in the course of competing as a BMX rider, but I'm excited because Josh just has that, 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 that little extra that excites me, that seeker inside of him. He's always searching. He's always hungry for that next level of learning and of understanding of asking why. And he'll talk about that as well. Josh knew what he wanted at an early age, grew up in a family where he was supported to be extraordinary And at 17, decided, uh, with his mom's permission, to drop out of high school and to pursue his dream of becoming a professional BMX rider. And he literally moved at 17 from Cape Cod to Greenville, North Carolina, to train with who at the time, and unfortunately has since passed, really the, the greatest, as Josh would describe it, Dave Muir. And... Learned a ton. He'll talk about how, where he lived <laughs> and all that great stuff. Um, Because at 17, I, you know, I look back at when I was 17, I don't, I don't know that I would, I was barely able to go off to college, let alone knew what I wanted to do and had that level of passion. And that's, I think that's what's so exciting about the conversation that we're going to have today. So he was about four years in to his career. And he suffered a concussion. Well, he's probably suffered several concussions over the course of time, but one in particular that really got his attention. And it was discovered that he had a brain tumor. So it was literally falling off his bike, doing that kind of that next level trick to get the notice and get the attention and hit him, hit his head pretty good. And subsequently they discovered that he had a brain tumor. And it set him on a course, and I'm not going to real, reveal too much because we'll talk about that today. But it set him on a course of, of greater self discovery, or greater self awareness of of really stepping into wellness from a whole other perspective when your life is literally on the line. So I'm super excited that he's here. I, I can't wait to to just jump in and uh, and really really not only understand the story, but what ultimately has led him to a place, because of that journey of self-discovery, to become a really prolific speaker and dynamic personality, stage presence, and he speaks to a lot of different people, a lot of different organizations. He coaches individually, and he's really dedicated this next season of his life, and he's young. (laughs) I mean, my God, he's young. But he's really just uh, dedicated to this next level, this next season, to to not only continue his pursuit of his own work and his own learning, but to be able to to instill in others what he's learned. So rather than becoming a motivational speaker, he's really an inspirational speaker. So we're going to jump into it. We're excited. I know you're going to be excited as well. So without further ado, Mr. Josh Purry. Hey, buddy. Welcome to uh, Mondays of Mitch. I'm happy to have you here.
1: I'm honored to be here. It's been a long time making and I'm stoked that we uh, made it happen. Uh, Exactly exactly three weeks after my brain surgery. That's crazy. (laughs) That's
0: That's crazy. Your hair looks good.
1: Yeah. You want to see where (laughs) where is it? There it is. Yeah. Let's say my hair is pretty long and it grew right over. Wow. Healed really quick. And uh, thankfully, I didn't have to like recut open the skin to take the stitches out because that's happened to me in the past. Uh, right. Like my body heals super quick, apparently. Right. And yeah, so it was good, good meat uh, last Tuesday getting the stitches out and adding it to the collection. I have a jar actually right over there from uh, the 75 staples and 16 stitches from the first surgery. And now I'm adding, or I added these stitches and I'm waiting for pathology to give me back the titanium screws they took out and replaced so I can add them to the jar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have a little uh, brain toolkit yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's great um so listen so i was talking a a little bit on the intro and i was saying you know from my perspective and i have an outside obviously an outside perspective and this this podcast is about how we lead ourselves to that to that next level and then if we desire to then lead other people that becomes a bonus to it but it really starts with us i'm wondering you, you left we talked about you left home and dropped out of school at 17. I, I can't even think of, of ever having anything that would even interest me enough to be able to even have the thought to drop out of school at 17, let alone get the permission to do it. <laughs> it sounds like this was something that's been this, this whole idea of leading yourself has been instilled in you probably for a really long time, much, much younger age than, than a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. and I think I uh, contribute that a lot or attribute that a lot to my mom and how she raised me and then now understanding how she was raised and not wanting to pass that on to me. Um, We recently, I I read um, How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicola Perra and she's reading it now, which is amazing. And we've been, it's brought us closer together and it's allowed me to understand how she was raised and then how she unconsciously made a decision to not do that. And consciously, I should say, to not raise me in that manner um, and then change that. And then so she wanted me to have the world and we didn't didn't come from much. And so she instilled this this belief in me that if you work hard, you can do what you want. And so therefore with school, she never cared about grades, she cared about effort. And then she saw my effort kind of slipping because my effort was going somewhere else, which was something I was passionate about. And she wanted to break that belief or that disbelief that you can't pursue something you love to make a living out of. Or living from, so she supported me all the way up to the day she signed me out of school to to move to North Carolina to pursue BMX as a career. And I wouldn't be where I am today on so many fronts if it wasn't for the way she raised me and that belief she instilled in me uh, to to lead my own path and not care about what other people had to say or um, you know how they maybe perceived me. It was just you know what do you love to do? Let's go all in on that and make that a reality.
0: And what was I'm, I'm curious especially at that age, what was the reaction or response from friends who were obviously in school to see you like taking that, that extra leap and not only just leaving school behind and pursuing BMX, you left the state, you moved.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, my friends were stoked. I mean, my, my real, my true friends were just, you know, they, they were super supportive and they were like, Awesome. Like it was inspiring to them. I didn't understand that at the time, uh, but they, you know, they had so much faith. They had more faith in me to make it happen than I did myself. I just knew like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to give it my all, but I still was unsure, but it didn't matter because I was focused on the vision. And so my friends were super supportive. Now my teachers, uh, my gym teacher, he was all about it. He actually was a big part of uh, my junior year of having a lot of success because thankfully gym class landed at the last period. And so we worked out an agreement that if I provided a video each quarter, um, you know, showing progression that he would allow me to skip his class and give me credit. And so I was able to leave school after fifth period to go to the skate park to train as long as I provided a video every semester of here's my updates, here's my progress. And I put a lot of effort into, it. I, you know, edited the best I could. So it wasn't just here's a bunch of clips and so it, I think it was, you know, there was so many factors into my success, but my friends being supportive, my family being supportive, and the only really people that you know had doubts and discouraged me were, you know, my teachers and people that didn't really know me, which didn't matter because my mom, my dad supported me, and that's all that mattered to me.
0: Well, and it's also fascinating because uh, I talk a lot here on conscious leadership about certain qualities and characteristics of people who are either leading themselves or are looking to lead themselves and looking for kind of a step up. It sounds also like a tremendous amount of discipline on top of, Hey, Josh, let's, let's go pursue what it is that we love and what we're passionate about. There's not only the discipline of, of being a BMX rider, but it sounds like there was also this notion of discipline, even as it related to school and the responsibilities that you had in order to pursue Mm-hmm. Some people just drop everything you were able to sounds like you're managing and had the discipline to manage all the different elements at such a young age
1: and a full time job. You know, I went to a technical high school because I fell in love with landscaping, being outside, using my hands like I, I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's it's a heavy uh, culture of trade work. And if not, you go leave, you go to school somewhere else to be a doctor, a lawyer, or pursue whatever path. But if you're on the Cape, like you're either in some kind of trade or you're just kind of doing whatever you're doing. And so I was raised in that environment and I I fell in love with landscaping because I love turning something not so beautiful to beautiful and like having that work ethic and being like proud of what I did, plus being outside. So I decided to go to a technical high school because I knew in 10th grade, you could go into the co-op program if you had, I think it was like a B minus or higher. And so it allowed you to go to work for two weeks, earn credit, make money, and then go to academics two weeks on and off the rest of your time in school. So I did that to the point where I was running my own crew, like running my own route, you know, 16 foot truck and trailer just with the mowers and doing my own thing and then going to school and then uh, going to the park after. So I'll be working a full day and then I go to skate park for like four hours, come home at 10, go to sleep, go back to work at 6 a.m. and then go to academics those two weeks. And then it got to the point where, Uh, I got expelled actually before I dropped out because I missed the first two months of my senior year on accident. My mom and I forgot that I had school coming up because I was just out in North Carolina training and uh, competing and all that. So they offered me, you know, you can come back next year. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. So I just went to work full time. And then I made the move to Greenville, North Carolina in the fall when we got laid off of, of 2007, I think it was. Um, so it was like school work and training. So there was so much discipline, but that came from my parents being focused on, you can do whatever you want, but you have to put the work in. It doesn't matter what you want to do. It matters how much you believe in yourself and how much work you put into it. And then you can go wherever your mind allows you to
0: go. You know, I referenced it up front and and you and I have talked about it in, in conversations that we've had on the phone, this idea of the notion of riding a bike falling, getting back up, like what it takes in order for you to be able to um, practice and learn. I'm wondering if if in the process of moving, did you experience um, any challenges or setbacks? Or was it maybe perhaps not what you thought it would be that you had to also overcome in the process of leading yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I rented a a storage closet for the first three months of living in Greenville, North Carolina, in my friend's uh, apartment for college. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I am today. But he gave me an opportunity. He's like, yeah, just pitch into the utilities and you can have the storage closet so I could fit an air mattress in there, my clothes, and then my bike stayed downstairs. And I I lived in there for three months. And then living in Greenville, East Carolina University, you know, it's really cheap in that town. It's a college town. So I later on got my apartment and it was like 300 bucks for rent a month between my my two friends and I. Uh, so it was just a very simple and very cheap lifestyle. And um, yes, yeah, so that was something I never imagined I would do is like living out of a closet. But I did what like it didn't matter to me how I was living my life. It mattered to me what I was doing with my life. And I was getting closer and closer to that vision of becoming a professional BMX athlete. And that was to me, everything at the time. I wanted to be like Dave Muir, the, you know, my my childhood hero and idol and someone that I was a very big role model to me that I became friends with and, and competitors with and training partners with, but it didn't matter how I was living my life. It just mattered what I was doing. And in my mind, I was willing to do, I wasn't conscious of this at the time, but I was willing to do whatever it took to get to make that moment a reality. And three, I think it was three years, no, two years after I made the move, I won my first pro contest in 2009, April, 2009. And I wrote X games that year. I was my second year on the do tour professionally the year prior, 2006. Uh, so no, it was my third year, the year prior, which was 2006. Um, it was the amateur series. And so I just was like, this is what I want to do. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And for however long it takes to make that a reality.
0: You know, it's always so fascinating because people talk about leading at the highest levels. And when they kind of figure out all the different steps and all the different moves I go, well, maybe not so much. You just had that driving passion. It sounds like that, that was so instilled in you and so much a part of you that you weren't necessarily paying attention to living in a closet. You weren't necessarily paying attention to that stuff because the, the, the discipline and really the focus was so strong that it just, that just drove you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. Like I, I, When we talk about being present, like I was just fully in the moment every day to where it wasn't, I wasn't focused on when this happens or how it happens. I was focused on, here's what I know it takes. Like, here's the equation. I just need to keep plugging in. And it doesn't, like, I wasn't worried about what other people thought of me. If I was, I would have never made the move to to begin with. It was just, what do I need to do? And let's keep doing that. And I will do it as long as I need to until that becomes a reality. And there was a lot of challenges, especially when I started getting involved with relationships and then getting judged. By them or their family members, because of the amount of money I was wasn't making, or what I was doing, and how they you know perceived that and the judgments they had, they projected onto me. That that messed with me a lot, and I cycled through all of that, and I was in and out of different relationships, and it was a challenge, but. Again, it just came back to that vision. and I, It was so clear in my mind of what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted that to look that didn't matter what was going on in the circumstances, which is why I'm not in those relationships anymore. And I found my way to a beautiful partner that now we're you know going to be getting married in um, the next year and a half. And it's That's just, awesome. it's such an amazing experience to be in that that space with someone that understands and supports the passion, which has changed since, which we'll probably talk about. But um, yeah, it didn't matter what I was, you know,
0: the circumstance I was in because I was just so focused on where I was going. Well, I'm focused not only where you're going, but you were also seeing space for relationship for connection, whether you were getting resistance or not, it's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when people get so singularly focused, everything else gets shuts out. They don't focus on relationships. They're not interested in relationships. They, they, they have a singular vision of achieving something and everything else goes by the wayside. And it sounds like you were, looking for ways to include more, which I think is important for, for, for leading oneself.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, love's always been a very important aspect of my life. I mean, I still have my baby book um, from when I was younger because my parents split up when I was about two and they, my dad has been in my life, you know, at, the whole time and been very, very supportive, but my parents get to a point where they understood um, very different things have gone on since understandings, but the time they were better off as friends. Um, they were both very young. My mom was 20 when she had me. And um, I always valued those pictures of them married and like me being born, like, you know, being in a relationship and sharing love with someone, you know, I received so much love um, throughout my lifetime that I wanted to express that with another human. So um, relationships was always something that was coming and going because I just, I felt this, this feeling of love and wanting to share that with someone. So it was like, you know, I had this love and desire to become a professional athlete and ride my bike and it served me well. Um, But then I also, you know, being in a relationship and sharing my life and experiences of life with someone else has always been really important to me. And through that journey, I found someone that is in complete alignment with me uh, and has a great understanding. We're on the similar page of growth and consciousness and understanding um, what triggers us and where we are and where we're trying to go. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to share that. And I find that that's why one of my favorite musicians is Mac Miller, who is no longer alive today. Uh, but a lot, like the last three albums he put out was just focused on his, his third to latest album was The Divine Feminine. Like that was what it was titled. It was a love story. And I just I started resonating with more artists um, in different spaces, just sharing this passion for expressing love with self and with others and the planet. And it's just something that's been very apparent in my life. And it just makes sense as to the path I've been on and what I do
0: today well and and let's talk about this because you're four years in right into your into your career and you suffer a concussion was that the first major injury or
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's more (laughs) yeah there's plenty it started at a young age trying to ride my bike off of a picnic table and not going enough fast enough and just dropping straight to my head i think i was like 10 (laughs) at that time and um yeah no there was there was a lot of concussions i remember i was 16 i was filming a video part with a friend and i went to do what's called a wall ride so you're riding on a wall uh built off of a ramp and then you do a tail whip which is the back end of the bike spins around while you're holding on the handlebars and I like did it wrong to where the back end stopped in front of me. But when you're so committed like that, you're, you're forward over the bars and you're, you know, coming down and it like, it came down on the bike and the bike went straight out and I just slammed my head off the ground. And like, that's all I remember. And he said, I started seizing on the ground. I hit my head so hard and I got mad at him after I was like, why do you stop filming? He's like, I got scared. <laughs> I was like, that was good footage. But, um, you yeah, know, that's just, that was the beginning. It was just, yeah, there's been so many concussions, but the, um, the one you're speaking about, it was a day I was training, trying a new trick for the contest coming up in April, of 2010, that I won the year prior for the first pro win ever. And I wanted to try this trick because I knew I wanted to bring it to the contest and I'd only been doing it in the foam pit. And I, I knew, you know, you, you can't really, you know, roll the dice like that on a trick like that if you're trying to win. And so I ended up over rotating the flip and rotation of the trick, got ejected off my bike, hit my head, had a helmet on, but still got knocked out. And this was a year and a half to like a year to year and a half of complaining and debilitating headaches and migraines, vision problems, vomiting, um, classic brain tumor symptoms. And they kept denying me scans, even though I had health insurance, because they were looking at, you know, judging me by my cover and blood work didn't show anything. And they're like, you know, you're young, you're in shape, you're 21. Uh, you don't need a scan. You just need, you know, take these pain pills to manage the pain come back if you need more.
0: So, so the history, my- the history of you <laughs> hitting your head and having concussions from a younger age. They didn't take that into consideration? I, I guess
1: not. Wow. That's, yeah. So, you know, lo and behold, I didn't have a pain pill deficiency. The MRI report showed I had a massive brain tumor. You know, I think you've seen the MRI images of yeah. it. And it was, it was very, very large. And, um, that, that's what started this healing journey, I'd say of, of, of just, you know, started out with nutrition and then five years later, I blew out my knee. Uh, and then that, le- or three years later, I blew up my knee five years later. So two years after I got my knee fixed I was very stubborn and I didn't want to have the surgery because I knew the recovery period would put me out for four months. And then, you know, later on, mindset became very apparent and I I made the connection. I was like, man, mindset's been there the whole time. It always has been. It's just a matter of me opening up and being conscious of it now. But like what BMX taught me, you talked about falling and getting up and, you know, trying again. At a young age, I took that on and my parents, you know, reinforced that. And that's transcended into so many aspects of my life and things I speak about. And so like the mindset was, you know, consciously it was last, but lo and behold, it had been there the whole time. It just was a matter of me seeing it and becoming aware
0: of it. Well, it's interesting because I I referenced you in in your intro as a seeker. And I've always, my sense is, is that you've always been a seeker, whether you realized it or not. And then subsequently from this injury and obviously having to really reevaluate your life on on many levels uh, and making certain shifts. That role of a seeker, because that's how I see you now. Because I, I, I follow you on social media. I, I we've had very spirited conversations in the past, and you're thirsty. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're a thirsty
1: I, guy. <laughs> I love finding the answers. I love asking why and how does this work? Like, why does this make sense? And yeah, like you said, I mean, I've been on that path for a very long time, and I was never really aware of it until like the last six years. Uh, Which is when I came across Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, which we've talked about extensively. And uh, it it all makes sense now. Like, it's like my life makes sense. And I've, you know, as a human, I've developed the meaning out of my life and the purpose, which is to serve other people and help them optimize their health and their uh, happiness and um, just their quality of life. But I've been on this path this whole time and I didn't know it. And now I'm aware of it. And that's what I've gone all in on and anyone that knows me knows that about me, uh, whether you follow me from afar on social media or you're in my life immediately, like, you know, like I'm, I'm always asking why, how does that work? How does that make sense? Like, how did you come up with that? Like, why does that do that? And like, I've always been seeking the answers to, to heal. And now I'm able to pass that on to other people as I continue to heal, which is a never ending journey.
0: Well, and we always talk about leaders or learners, like that, that, that process of learning never stops. Yep. I always talk about, you know, people who lead who think they know everything. It's just more ego oh, yeah. than anything else. But the idea that that you're constantly looking for what's that next level better, what's that next level of growth and opportunity, and that, that next level of growth and healing. Uh, I think those are just tremendous leadership type qualities that we all have to have in order to just really to not just get up every morning and function and go through the motions, but to to find something worth pursuing, to find something worth engaging in. And I'm curious though, for you in the process of shifting out of uh, BMX for health reasons and for other interests. I know for myself, years ago, I was, I was a screenwriter and a sitcom writer and people used to say to me, well, if you weren't writing, what would you do? And I went, uh, uh, and I would see like a, while they're talking I'm going uh, uh, I'm seeing a brick wall like I couldn't at the time see anything else and I'm wondering was there ever a time where you looked at it and go what am I going to do
1: yeah i mean there was there's many times i was challenged in different relationships to to think that way because you know i i remember it was 2013 and i was in a relationship and um, we went through uh, the first and second brain tumor diagnosis together, like the surgery and then the radiation two years later. And it was it was a really toxic relationship, but we didn't understand that we bonded through trauma and we were isolated on our own. We were we found comfort and family in each other and our versions of love didn't match up. So um, it just it was toxic is the best way I could put it. But I was pushed to think outside of the box in terms of the long run of like, what are you going to do when you're done riding? And I remember my answer was like, I don't care. I'll get a job at Lowe's. I'll work for ten dollars an hour, forty hours a week, because this is what I would love to do now. I'll, I'll think about it later. And I remember that year I came across Simon Sinek TED Talk uh, "Start with Why," and mm-hmm. you know that that was really profound to me, and it got me thinking about like you know the the question why Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? And then 2017 came the third brain tumor diagnosis, and that's when I decided to leave competition. And I still rode at an elite professional level for two years after that. To Or three years after that, um, January of 2020 was the last month I rode my bike. And it was to the point where my friends were like, why aren't you competing? Like, what are you doing? Because you're riding like you're competing. You're training in the gym and at the park every day, but you're not going to the contest. And I was like, I don't have a desire to compete anymore. I just love what I do. And January 2020 was a point of where I wanted to see who I was without the identity of the BMX attached to my name. And two months later, the pandemic happened and then May of this year, I had a seizure that discovered the next brain tumor that we had taken out. So it was like the fourth or fifth brain tumor diagnosis, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was 2018, I met one of my best friends, Isaac Segman. I just had him on the podcast uh, recently, and he, was, he shared this concept with me of off-self on purpose. And it came from him being challenged at a sales position he had where his, um, his higher up was like, Isaac, what are you doing today? Are you on self or are you on purpose? And he shared that with me, and it, it just made my journey make so much sense that the third brain tumor diagnosis in 2017, it was it was a wake-up call. I refer to all of them as wake-up calls, but that was the last one that got my attention to the point where I was like, I'm leaving competition, and I'm pursuing. That's when I started my health coaching business, which has evolved to where um, I, it's, it went health, and then it went keto coaching, and then it went life coaching, and then now I just I made up my own name of the optimization strategist. Like I just love helping people optimize strategies to improve their life in any which way. Uh, but but that that saying off self on purpose it made so much sense to me that it helped make it helped bring so much clarity of the purpose in which these things were happening to me and i realized that people didn't care that i was riding they didn't care that i was competing they didn't care how well i did what made sense to them was i was getting up and trying again i was still pursuing my passion and i was like I don't need to compete anymore because people aren't inspired by the fact that I'm competing. They're inspired by something deeper. And if I can share that message, which is what I do today, then I can help people get unstuck in their life and pursue their higher purpose. And that's something that I get asked all the time is like, how do I find my purpose? How did you find your purpose? I was like, there's no magic answer to that. What I say is, you know, go pursue the things you love because my journey is not something I wish upon anyone. Because what I've gone through is a massive amount of trauma at a young age that I don't think anyone would really experience in even two or three times my age. And I don't wish that upon anyone. Um, But we all have our unique journeys. And that pursuing your best self and optimizing yourself should be your focus. That should be your purpose because in that pursuit, you find what means something to you. You find what your higher purpose is, which I would would, uh, argue with anyone is to serve other people. That's where you get the most value and the most fulfillment is by helping other people. And I think that's something that's missed. And that's something that I learned the hard way. And then thankfully, I met Isaac, which was just meant to be how we got positioned at an event together. And he shared that concept with me. And I was just like, man, like that, it's so simple, but it's just so profound and it just blew my mind. And it brought so much clarity to me. And it helped me work through the last three years of my life leaving BMX and asking myself, like, who am I? Like, why am I feeling this way? Like, and Jackie actually helped me, my fiance. Um, she's like, essentially, you're breaking up with your first love, like your bike, like BMX. Like, that's the first thing you fell in love with in your life. And you're breaking ties to that. But you went through so much to that. Like, for over a decade, like 15, 17 years, that was your identity that you formed by what you did. And you, it helped you get through all three of the brain tumor diagnoses the surgery, the radiation, and then, you know, so on and so forth, and all the injuries that came with it, all the hardships. And, Every time I had some trauma in my life, some emotional um, expression that was, Mm. you know, quote unquote, unwanted, I went to my bike. And then I just took that away from me voluntarily. And I was trying to figure out, like, why am I depressed? And then my younger brother passed. And that was two years after Dave Mirror passed and was diagnosed with CTE. And I was just like, what, like, what, why am I still here? And it's, I've discovered, and maybe it's because I'm a human, I made up my own meaning with my frontal lobe that my purpose is to serve people. Like I've gone through a journey that I don't wish upon anyone, but I can share that lens so other people can see, you know, what's possible. And like Dr. Joe says, they have an opportunity to change from a place of joy and inspiration rather than pain and suffering. Well, And And that's that's, ultimately what I want for
0: people. That is powerful because in the beginning of your career, it was, it seemed like the understanding was, Hey, you know, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. There's going to be injuries. It's to be expected. You've got to do whatever you got to do to get there. Your back's against the wall to this evolution of, well, wait, wait, wait a second. There's another place to create from. There's another place to manifest from that isn't through the suffering Mm -hmm. Um, that, that joy and inspiration. You can start from that platform and go higher. So that's, that's super powerful.
1: And it's much more enjoyable awareness. It's, it's so much more enjoyable. There's no, there's, you know, there's no suffering so to speak because the beginning of my journey was on self. It was, it was fueled by spite and anger to prove people wrong that doubted me. And, and that only got me so far. BMX only allowed me to get so far. And then it came apparent that like, oh, maybe I need to find a different fuel source. And then that's obviously how I got led to keto um, as well, which is, you know, no pun intended, but another fuel source. Uh, But then I decided to change my fuel from, spite and anger to love and gratitude and also, you know, follow a low carb ketogenic diet. And that, that changed my world. And then it got to the point where even three weeks ago, going through this second awake brain surgery, um, I I've had this profound difference of who I am and I, and how I express myself and my love for life. And I realized like, fuck, I've been telling my, my story of living with brain tumors for so many years This is the first time in 12 years I'm tumor free now. I can change the narrative of my life. And I know in the long run, that's going to have a higher probability of creating more health rather than the story I've been telling like, yeah, I live with brain tumors because no longer do I. So I've changed that narrative. And like I say, Dr. Q allowed me to get to a point or Dr. Perlmutter allowed me to get to a point of empowering myself with nutritional choices. And then, you know, Kerwin Ray, Jim Carrey, Dr. Joe, Dr. Nicole Lepera, like they helped me with my mindset. And then it got to a point where I did everything I could and I needed Dr. Q with Mayo Clinic to do the rest, which was to remove the tumor and right. the other tumors. And he did so successfully. And like, I just have this newfound joy and love and passion for life. And my energy is through the roof. And I find myself like rambling sometimes because I just like both sides of my hemisphere, both hemispheres of my brain were, were stuck because of the tumor being centered. And now it's like, I feel like my brain just works for the first time in my life and everything's so clear. That's amazing. You
0: know the. When you're talking, I'm hearing things like the word adaptability come fo- comes forward for me. Uh, pivoting comes forward for me. That the, the awareness that that as long as you continue to keep seeking and you're looking for that next level better, you're it, you're better able to handle the ups, the downs, the sideways. However, you choose to see it, and use that as fuel to be able to propel you forward rather than to keep taking you back. I know. Um, I remember listening to something that Dr. Joe once talked about um, that I don't have uh, tumors, right? I don't have tumors in my brain. My brain has a tumor. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of separating yourself out from that and then starting to see, really starting to see yourself, well, here's where I'm at now. Like, where do I want to go? And that old narrative doesn't have to always go with me to the extent that perhaps I leaned on it in the past. And that's part of what it takes for people to lead themselves. And if they choose to lead other people is not holding on to the past. You know, you said, I was able to make sense of things. I heard you say that earlier. I was able to make sense of things. And that's a, a huge distinction because I know over the years, I've coached a lot of people who go, God, if I could just realize why I do this, if I could just understand like, then like then what, then your life wouldn't suck, like, because you'd figure <laughs> it out. And then I heard somebody say one time, they say, no, what you really need to be able to do is to be able to make sense of it, that you need to be able to, to look at a situation or circumstances and go, I don't know why I did that. I don't know where it comes from, but I could understand, given a certain set of circumstances, how I or someone else <clears throat> would respond that way. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it takes because the other way is, is really part of what I would call sabotage mode. Like you're, well, because I can't figure it out, that becomes my story of why I won't, why I can't, why I'm not enough. But the idea of just going, listen, I don't know where that story comes from. I I can't pinpoint the exact moment or experience around that. Here's what I do know. This is what it was, and I can understand. And that's really what a person needs to be able to, to move forward and to be able to propel themselves forward. Cause it doesn't sound like at any point in time, you allowed yourself to get too stuck on. Oh, why me again? Why is this happening? Oh, yet again, you're going, okay, so what's the value here in this experience? Cause this is the reality. And where can I take it? Which is a huge distinction from a, from really consciously leading yourself to wellness and leading other people now to wellness.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I was told early on, like the first year, don't call it my brain tumor and call it the brain tumor. And I it was like, Oh, like that made so much sense. the way they explained it, which, yep. you know, words, how powerfully on the unconscious level. And I was like, that makes so much sense. So that's like, I call people out all the time, like friends, family that say, Oh, my anxiety or my injury or this or that. And I'm like, do you want that? Like, no, then don't say that it's yours. Don't identify with it. And I think that that's something that's so common that disrupts people's success is identifying with their circumstances. And that's a big proponent of what I talk about is you're much more than your circumstances. You're not your thoughts. You're not your emotions. You're not the things that happen to you. And that's not to say over the years, I haven't broken down and cried to my mom about like, why the fuck is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? When I was first diagnosed, I was 21. I was by myself. And I broke down and I was like, why, what did I do to deserve this? Like, am I a bad person? Those are the first three things out of my mouth. And I've come to learn that that doesn't serve me. It's not that that's not the reality that I'm going through some shit, but it's just about, is that empowering me to get to where I want to go? And it's, it's a decision that you have to make, which I posted something the other day about the root of decision comes from the, um, I don't remember the exact words, but Latin for cut and off. And you decide to cut off one thing for another. Whatever, whatever decision you're making in your life. So you're, you're either going to go this way with an identity or you're going to go that way with an identity. It, there's no right or wrong. There just is a positive or a negative consequence depending on what you want to make the meaning out of that for your life. And so I learned early on It's thanks to people, like I said earlier, like Jim Carrey, Dr. Joe, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast, like listening to those types of things. And uh, just so many people that I can't even name all of them right now that have just helped me understand the power of thought and consciousness and you identifying or not with something. And I'd rather identify with something that I can't see yet, which is all the great people in our past have done. like. Uh, Dr. Joe uses Mar- Dr. Martin Luther King and Gandhi as examples. Like they envisioned something that was not making sense to other people because it didn't make sense with your senses. You, they, no one else could see what those people could see, but they knew it was possible and now we're living in what they believed in. And they're no longer here to, to experience that. But it doesn't mean it's not real. And I just I learned that you know, whatever you're seeking, you'll find. It's just a matter of auditing what you're looking for and choosing something that is serving you and how you can be congruent in your behavior, in your thoughts, and your emotions. And it's not about being perfect. It's about
0: being consistent. What would you say, because uh, I know you, you have a, a number of clients that you're working with what do you notice? Because I know for myself, I notice certain things like a through line of challenges that other people are going through in terms of really effectively leading themselves to even getting through a day. I'm wondering what you might notice in the work that you're doing is a is pretty consistent through line with people.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think it's 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 two things. It's it's a desire to have confidence <clears throat> in self, which is also paired with a connection to their intuition. And it's something that I've been seeing so apparent lately as I discovered that for myself. And like we talked about making sense of my past and how I ignored my intuition and it got me in trouble with different things. That's ultimately what I want for my clients. I don't want my clients to be with me forever. Like I want them to get to a place where they feel confident to make decisions and choices on their own and trust their intuition, trust their gut feeling about things and know that they have the answers with inside of them. And that's, I think, boiling that up, the biggest challenge I have with my clients working through is discovering that they have the answers with inside of them. It's just a matter of them opening up to that, that fact and believing in it with utter faith and then knowing that they can
0: listen to their intuition and let that guide them. And it's very similar uh, to what, what I've learned and gone through, which is, is what I do is support people in re-remembering who they mm-hmm. are. It's re-remembering. And I, I, this goes back, you know, 20 plus years when I was going through my master's program. And whenever we would go into a process where we were coaching somebody, there was always the same paragraph that was always there on the sheet of paper before we started, which was, I'm paraphrasing here, remember that the person sitting across from you has all the tools and has all the ingredients and all the things to be able to do this. And so then you start to see that that you're not the answer. You're just simply a mirror. And you're there to really re-remind people of what they already know somewhere in consciousness. Yep. And I think it's so fascinating that, that um, where your work has taken you because you're dealing with the human brain, right, in terms of everything that you're going through. But then you're also dealing with fifth dimension stuff. You're dealing with that next level of awareness. And I'm wondering how that comes into play in the way you support your clients. Um, what, what do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Meaning, you know, a lot of times people will come and they'll, they'll, they'll be very 3d about this is what's going on and this is what's not going on. And I, it's, it's like the common theme of, well, I did everything I was supposed to do and it's not working. Mm-hmm. Right. And so helping people see what that next level is of manifestation, what that next level is of being able to create from a different place. Cause I know that's important to you and you've been able to do that for yourself. And I'm wondering how that plays out with your clients and how you kind of make that turn and transition with them to help them see that.
1: Well, I think it goes back to a conversation we had a couple of months ago about subcontexts in or subtext. And that's something that the like going back to the whole notion that we all have the answers inside of us, it's just about having someone help draw them out of us so we can see for ourselves. It's not that we're you know, re- like re-engineering the wheel, essentially. Like it's just like, like you said, mirroring and exposing things for themselves. And I have a set of exercises that just go through these writing prompts and I guide them through that of just connecting with their unconscious mind and bringing them back in time to an event and looking at it from a different perspective and then reevaluating that event and seeing how that's compounded over the years to build a core belief. And then once we discover that, then it's like, all right, consciously now, what do you want? Do you want to believe that or do you want to believe this? And then through conscious repetition, we can reprogram the unconscious mind. And it's not easy. And you know that. It just takes time. But having the understanding that it's going to take time and to detach from the outcome happening on your terms and being open to the possibilities, uh, I, I see it every day with clients and I've seen it with myself. It happens sooner than we want as soon as we let go.
0: Yeah, that is, that is crucial because we, this whole concept that we talk about of time, right, chronos time which is spirits time, which is divine timing versus uh, I should say chronos time, meaning it's three o'clock versus Kairos time, which is spirits time, which is divine timing, which um, how things can happen. I I often catch people saying, well, we say, well, there's a lot of work involved here. And I go, well, how do we know that? (laughs) How do we really, well, it's going to take a lot of time, Well, how do we know that? Like, I, I don't, you're applying the past and things that have happened to you in the past in order to create, Your future and it it hasn't worked before because if it did we wouldn't be talking. Yep. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's that's the key is to be able to make that is to be able to make that shift. Talk a little bit about if you would because this is kind of fascinating and I don't understand the specifics of it and I definitely want to talk about it. You were awake during this last surgery. Yeah. Let's talk about that.
1: That's just mind blowing to me, literally. (laughs) So they they injected me in different areas around my skull um, to to numb it. And I, I fell asleep during that process before they even started, like just the sedation that they gave me Um, and they were joking about it. They're like, you know, the the guys that have all the tattoos are usually the biggest babies when it comes to these things. And (laughs) I was starting to get nervous. I was like, shit, like I'm not, I've had so many injections and stuff inside of me before that like, it never bothered. My my mom was a phlebotomist and in high school, she'd come home and practice on me and I was just, I'm not phased by it. But then I was like, should I be worried? Like, cause I'm not worried, but like, should I be? And then, as soon like the guy in front of me, he started getting closer. And then I just remember just falling into it, and then like waking up. And I was like, I filmed a video, and I just like was saying to Jackie, and I was like, I can't feel my face, and I feel like my eyebrows are falling into my eyes. And I like I poked myself in the eye. I was like, I can't even feel that. Um, But they do that because where the tumor was located, it was in the center of the hemispheres, but pushing to the left and towards the frontal lobe. So they needed to communicate with me to make sure. Uh, When they were in there, they weren't damaging anything essential. And that way I could also, you know, be told to like, all right, move your right leg and your right arm at certain times to make sure they weren't messing with, you know, the left brain and right brain connection or the right part of your body connection. But also the reason we did it awake was because they could be more aggressive with the brain mapping tools and technology and the probes they have to test different areas before they go in and take, um, you know, tissue out, which they were able to take out all the tumors. um, And I say tumors because there was four plus the bigger one that um, was recently developed without taking uh, healthy tissue. So I had to be awake because they needed to test different things and motor functions and hearing and talking and all that. Uh, I remember like going in the OR for the first time in my life, which I've been in the OR many times and seeing everything, seeing the lights, hearing them, you know, move the tools around seeing the anesthesiologist, the left of me, I'm on the bed laying down the nurse is in front of me so I can communicate with her, the surgeons behind me. And I hear him, but I don't see him. And I remember them putting the IV in me for the local anesthesia and then falling asleep a, like a little bit and then waking up and then taking the screws out from the old uh, surgery. And that was, I mean, I've had that uh, experience with them putting in the anchor for the frame for gamma knife. Um, they put in four screws in my skull and I was wide awake and they just numbed it locally um, but like you still, your, your brain is, or your head is just vibrating. You hear the drill, you see the drill, um, this, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear it. And I say feel, but it's like, you know, like it's, it's hard to explain because it's, there's no feeling like, it's not like painful, but you can almost sense like the, the feeling sensation of the screws coming out and like your, your head's moving. And then when they are cutting into the skull, the best way I could explain it was like this this aggressive grinding that you could sense but not feel, you know, going through your skull. And then at different points when he was in there, I learned that I blow through local anesthesia really quick. And I didn't know that because I've never had that experience before. Uh, but there'd be times where there'd be like acute sharp pain. But like we know the brain can't feel things. It can perceive things. And the nurse would be communicating with me and she'd see my eyes light up as soon as I sensed it. And um, Dr. Q would stop, apply more local anesthesia, and then it would go away instantly. And so it was just like this this weird sensation of like acute, sharp pain for a split second. But like it wasn't painful. I just was perceiving it like that. And then it'd go away and then they would continue. And then I woke up in the ICU and it was just, it was insane. Another thing that was crazy. So my younger brother passed away June 27th, 2018, 13 days after he turned 26. Mac Miller ended up passing away three months later after he turned 26. It's really strange. But my mom and I both had dreams two weeks or so prior to my brother passing that he passed away. And it felt so real. And it's a testament to how connected my mom, and my brother are and have been for years. And I remember asking her later on, you know, I, telling her like, hey, I had this dream. You know, I don't know if I ever told you like Danny passed before he passed. And it just felt super real. And she's like, no shit. So did I. My mom hasn't been able to dream about my brother, probably because she's been trying to since he passed and no shit. I call her at 6am from the ICU. And she tells me that she had a She woke up from a dream of me and my brother, me walking away into the distance and my brother getting closer to her chewing bubblegum, not speaking, but she said she could feel him communicating with her, just going like this, just like they telling her, wait one second. And then like picking up a phone. And then I called her and woke her up answering the phone to me. Oh, wow. And she was just like blown away, just crying, just so happy. And I was like, Hey mom, what's up? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm awake. I'm good. Like it was a Like, I just can't wait to tell you about it, but I just wanted to say what's up and that I love you and I'm, I'm good. And it was just so profound. And I was just like, man, like this, it's so crazy. Like every, like, and like Dr. Q and I met four years ago. Like we got introduced together Uh, because of our passion for brain health and helping people and inspiring people. Um, He was just featured in a series on Netflix called The Surgeon's Cut. He's episode two, The surgeon's, the Sacred Brain. And it just worked out in such an interesting way that Jackie and I knew for a year now that we were going to move to Florida. And in May, May 9th, I had the seizure in my sleep and I ended up having two more since um, before the surgery. And it worked out to where when we moved, it was right after I knew I was going to have to have another surgery. And I was trying to figure out with health insurance and um, living in Raleigh, North Carolina, I had blue cross blue shield, but I had UNC health alliance. So blue cross has UNC and Duke. And I was like, I'm going to go back to Duke. Cause my first surgeon, I'm alive and well, I'm gonna go there. I trust him. And they didn't take my insurance. And they was like, yeah, it's 25 grand deposit. And then like 150, 200 grand after that. And I was like, fuck that. Like, I, and so I was like, Oh, Dr. Q, I know Dr. Q and we're moving to Florida about an hour away. Like, let me hit him up and see, and it worked out to where my health insurance clicked over August first. They got me in August twenty-six, and it, I ended up getting like a no, um, like a zero-dollar deductible, twenty-eight hundred-dollar out-of-pocket max insurance coverage. Wow! And they got me in in like three weeks, and it just it, the the synergy in my life and the connection with people, it just makes so much sense why I'm here. Because that was a question I asked for so long: like, why did Dave Muir kill himself and be diagnosed with CTE? Why did my brother pass away at twenty-six? And I'm still here. I'm the one living with fucking brain tumors and all these traumas, and I'm still here. There's got to be a larger purpose for my life. And now I'm very aware of it and I've gone all in on it. And it makes sense now, reflecting, which is really fun to do um, from a from a uh, joyful perspective of like making these connections and you know making the meaning, which could be true or false, but I'm choosing to believe that it's true that I'm here for a reason and it's to inspire other people. and I have all these synergistic experiences. In my life that that validate that that belief although
0: those experiences are never going to lie to you and i, I often tell people uh it's like connect the dot like i if you you can i think i believe that any one of us can look back at a, whatever starting point we want to start with and we can see how the dots connected and we can see how we got here when we couldn't see it then yeah right we can't necessarily see it but the willingness to trust the willingness and that's uh, that's another huge quality that that I always love to stress and always love to share on the podcast around leadership, which is the willingness to go, okay, part of leadership is course correcting. It's being drawn towards something and then realizing that a shift is necessary, that I've got to pivot, that I've got to adapt, that I've got to look at it. And it's all, and it's trusting the whole process of it. And when you then can look back at an event and anybody can do this and they can just actually connect the dots From one thing to another, they start to realize the synchronicity. They start to realize um, the path that they had to go on, that they had to choose. I remember, and I always tell a story where I I, I bumped into a a guy that I had met through an old relationship, highly toxic relationship. And I literally bumped into him. You say I bumped into somebody. I literally bumped into him waiting to cross the street. And we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And we had a couple things to say, we were talking. And then all of a sudden he just said, you know, and he brought the, brought the gal up because I, I guess he didn't know what to say. Cause I guess you must regret meeting her. And I'm like, not at all. Like I can, I can connect the dots. Like that was a very necessary part of my life mm-hmm. to lead me to this exact moment. Cause you see these movies every once in a while, the Hollywood comes out with another movie of some guy or some woman in a kind of a midlife crisis. And they, their life isn't working out as they thought. And they go, gosh, no. Yes, it's because I dropped the ball in the end zone in high school. <laughs> and, you know, if I could just, you know, everything would have changed. And then they fall, hit their head, not surprisingly. And, you know, they wake up and they're back in high school. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go, oh, I get to do it over again. But the, the same thing comes around. You change one thing, you change everything. And sometimes it's a challenging thing because there's there's loss along the way. There's grief along the way. There's all of these elements that are part of the human experience um, that we can't, we can't pick and choose those moments. But what we can do is we can maximize those moments and we can see, okay, here's how I've been able to connect the dots. Here's where I'm at now. Where do I want to go next? And it sounds like, and I don't know what the, the circumstances were, and you can touch on that if you want on why those tumors remained in your brain and they didn't remove them then, but they were able to remove them now. But part of me wonders if it was like now is when you were ready. Yeah. Right. To go to that next level and change the narrative to something even more powerful to be able to help even more people.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why I tell people I was excited for the opportunity to be awake and I was excited for the opportunity because it was another, in my mind, opportunity to teach people that I don't just talk about something that's theory. Like this is really my life. And this is real for me. And it's something I've been living with. And it was another opportunity to remind people like, Hey, this is real for me. And I'm still not gonna let my circumstances define me because anyone would agree that it could be really easy for me to play the victim card. Uh, It has been that way for 11 years. And I never gave into it um, for a long period of time. There was moments, of course, I'm human that I, I let it get to me. And I had those, you know, why me and those moments of breaking down, but I never let it define me. And I always push forward. And so. I was really excited to be away because I knew that's what Dr. Q did because he could be more aggressive with it. So I had a better probability or higher probability of getting all the tumors out. But it was another experience that not many people would have. And I chose to look at that way because I knew that that would create the same level of anxiety, but it would be excitement. It would be rather than fear, it would be excitement. And that would help me get through it. But also it'd be something to an experience to talk about and to share and remind people of like what's possible that you don't have to go through, but I went through it and I'm able to talk about it. And you know, going back to what you were saying about you know looking at the past and not doing things different, two things come to mind. The only movie that I've seen Will Ferrell play a, like a, a uh, serious part in. Have you seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction? I have not. It, it's a uh, story about him as an accountant just routine after routine. Then one day he's sitting in his apartment and a bulldozer like breaks, breaks through and they're like, Oh shit, wrong apartment. And then, you know, his, one of his clients or not clients, however you want to word that getting audited as this small business bakery woman. And the, the you know, they go through the ins and the outs of him auditing her, her getting mad at him every day and throwing shit at him and you know, this and that and him having to go through all our papers. By the end of the movie they fall in love and it, he changes his world. And it's just like a, it's a beautiful story. And it's just really interesting to see Will Ferrell playing that role. But you talk about relationships. You know, her name is Charlotte. And we dated from 2010 to 2014-15. And she was with me through the first and the second surgery, the first tumor uh, diagnosis, the surgery and the radiation. And she texted me um, a couple days or a week prior to going into surgery. And she was just letting me know. She was thinking about me. I was weighing on her, you know, and she just wanted, you know, to, to share words of, you know, love and support with me. And I just shared, you know, my heart with her and I just thanked her. I was like, you're a very integral piece of where I am today and why I am who I am. Mm. And I have nothing but love and respect for you. Um, And I I shared a lot with her and I I didn't get a response, but I didn't expect to get a response. I don't really expect things anymore. Um, But it was just, it was just, you know, speaking to that point of like, that person taught me so much about myself and so much about life that had it not been for her, maybe I wouldn't have met Jackie who I'm I'm in very much in love with and happy with and sharing a life with. And it's just it's just all these things. People look at it that way. It's like, if only I could do this differently. If only that didn't happen to me. And it's, to me, that's a disempowered way of looking at life because it doesn't serve you. You can't change the past, but you can learn from it and you can apply those learning moving forward. And that's, to me, the definition of being empowered is to be conscious of everything you're doing in your life the best you can and
0: learn from the past and reflect on
1: it in a way that it serves you moving forward.
0: Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the exact thing that Dr. Joe says, uh, that uh, the wisdom is the past without a charge. Yeah, the past without <laughs> emotional charge is wisdom. Yeah, yeah. 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 so tell tell me, because you're, you're talking about Jackie, tell me about um, how this relationship just, it was like the timing. It's like it was another dot connected in yep. your life, because you <laughs> talked about in the beginning that you always... Love was always important to you and and I always believe that that part of being um, whole well and complete is having all aspects of your life moving and grooving and and but but talk about a little bit about how this fell into place, and you just knew
1: so it was two thousand and fifteen it was September two thousand and fifteen I just had returned back to Raleigh, North Carolina from three months of amusement park demos in cedar point in ohio at cedar point amusement park and i walked into the training facility and they had just um hired two full-time athletic trainers jackie was one of them and i walked in and my former athletic trainer uh, trish she had introduced me to jackie and i was like really hesitant to have jackie work on me cuz for for 7 years trish had been the only person that had worked on me And uh, as far as like physical therapy and, you know, um, stuff like that, like tissue work. And I was like, all right, who is this person? (laughs) And like, you know, we were um, she was dating some at the time. And so we were friends like a year and a half. As soon as we started to date, it was right when she took a job in Florida where she's from, which is part of why we moved back down here, uh, because she got laid off from the park. They lost their budget for an athletic trainer. And so ironically, that's when we started dating. And so we'd fly back and forth every month to see each other and it just worked out so beautifully that it just i couldn't have wrote the story better and it just we became it's the only time i've been in a relationship where we were friends let alone friends for that long so we get to know each other really well cuz at that time it was almost a year um oh i says yeah about a year since i had broken up with charlotte and so charlotte was still projecting so much shit onto me like sending me nasty texts about how bad of a person i am and this and that for various reasons and i knew she was just hurt um, because I was the one that decided to leave the relationship, which in her mind, coming from her background, yelling and being angry and all that didn't matter because if you stayed, that meant you loved that person. And so I was one of those people that left. So in her mind, I didn't I never loved her. And I was like, that's not true. So Jackie was actually helping me process a lot of that and mm-hmm. letting me know, like, you're not a bad person. Like she's just dealing with some shit. And so she you know, met a lot of the girls that I started dating over that year and a half. And um, it was really interesting because we get to know each other on like a really personal level. And she went through a toxic relationship and I was able to you know, kind of support her through that. And I actually knew the person as well. And it's just, it worked out so well. And then a year later after we started dating, I convinced her to move back to North Carolina with me. She found her job at Durham Academy, uh, high school, private high school, uh, and then moved in with me and then. What's have been three years later, we moved uh, down here to uh, the East Coast in Florida, where she's from. And actually, my mom and her fiance just bought a house 15 minutes from us and are moving in in October. So it's oh, just wow. it, it, everything's just coming together in such a beautiful way. And it just it was just one of those moments I had to go through all the things I had to to learn about myself to a level that Jackie was learning about herself at a level that it just made sense that when we came together, we knew what we at least to a degree of who we were and what we wanted and what we expected out of a relationship and didn't expect. And we, most importantly, we understood that a relationship doesn't define your happiness. Like a, you don't rely on someone else to make you happy. That's an internal job. You can come together and make a, you know, something beautiful on top of that. But it's not like the past relationships that we were both in. That was like, you're responsible for my happiness. You're not making me happy. Like that, that's, that's such bullshit. Um, and people that disagree with that, it's like, you, you have a lot of work to do in yourself. Like, I'm not going to judge you, but like, I'm not going to let you tell me that I'm the reason you're unhappy. Cause that's not fair to me. Like your emotions
0: aren't my responsibility.
1: Well, it's it's not, it's
0: it's not fair to the person who's making the accusation. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a misunderstanding. It's a misidentification. It's a misinterpretation of what all of that is about. And so getting lost in that isn't going to serve anybody. So it's, it's, it's always interesting knowing how much to say, what to say, what not to say. And sometimes just allowing other people the dignity of their process, because that's what they're going through. That's just, the reality of, of, of what their experience is. Um, I want to ask you just and from a leadership standpoint, when you look back at from 17 and that decision to where you're at now, you've led yourself. What do you think are some of the more important qualities or things that you notice really mostly for yourself that you've, that have allowed you to grow But you would classify as a, a, as, because I always talk about this, you know, people think of leadership and they think of, they immediately go the coach in the locker room, the coach screaming down the sidelines, you know, they immediately go to the general on the, you know, on the field of battle. And, you know, my podcast and everything that I do is about approaching it from a whole different level, a higher level of consciousness. And what most people don't realize is that, is that it starts with you leading you. Mm -hmm. It starts with the fact that everybody, from my perspective, is a leader. Whether they're effective at it or not, that's a different conversation. But the fact that you get out of bed in the morning and that you perhaps get kids together and off to school, that you have some type of employment that you do or other responsibilities, that you move through the day and you get stuff done, you are leading yourself. Mm -hmm. You've had an interesting dynamic so far because you started leading you at a much younger age than a lot of people. I was always fascinated by people that I would meet and still meet that are 17 or 16. Oh yeah. I've been on my own since I was 16. I'm like, what? Like, how do you, <laughs> how would you do that? I don't, I don't even understand. Um, but looking back, what would you say are some of the qualities of leadership that, that you would really own in your heart that you think are important for other people to, to grasp as important in leading yourself?
1: I think the the first thing that comes to mind is delusional optimism. Like having this, un, like, I don't even know how to word it, like this this deep sense of faith in what you're doing will happen and that you'll do whatever it takes to happen. And that goes hand in hand with a, a an immense amount of work ethic. Um, it doesn't happen without putting in the work. And so uh, I love combining the idea of delusional optimism with work ethic because I, I think that's what allowed me to get up and try again, get up and try again was no matter how much pain I was in, which i've been through so much pain that i don't think a you know regular person would be able to fathom the amount of pain that I put myself in willingly to ride my bike um the injuries, the emotional pain like the suffering like so much to do something that n- very little people will understand why I did that unless they had something like that in their life um and th- after that it comes this 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 sense of empathy you know understanding that. I I am who I am and I'm, I have to love and respect other people for where they are. That's been a big learning lesson along the way. And I think that's what makes me a a great leader is understanding that like, I'm not to judge someone else because I'm human, I'm flawed in my own ways, but I've gone through experiences where I just have a desire to share what I've learned. And I'm very open and vulnerable and authentic in that truth that I walk which you've helped me, you know, own that truth more and more. I know we were having conversations from the um, the hacking better event and like getting caught up in my head about what I wanted people to take away from my talk versus just speaking from my heart. And I've learned to do that, thankfully to you and a lot of other people guiding me on that, that path. And I think it's just all these different qualities of just knowing that you're a human and that other people are going through their own shit. And it's not to judge them and it's to love and respect them where they are. But more importantly, you know, you have to have this sense of delusional optimism and what you're working towards will happen. And that's what drives me to get out of bed, no matter how depressed I am, no matter how sad I am or how angry or how pain, how much pain I'm in. Um, it's, it's that I'm working towards something that I see in my mind that I know will happen. And when you let go, we talked about this earlier, when you let go of the when and the how, I 'm seeing this play out now, like i couldn't have written it better for my life today of all the things that I 've yet to even put out publicly that i 'm working on that are coming to fruition i couldn 't have timed it better i couldn 't have written it better i couldn 't have met the different people I've met in a more beautiful manner that is just so um, congruent to the vision i 'm working towards, and I think that 's why I haven 't given up in eleven years where you know many of my friends maybe you know sad to say have given up on the BMX thing and have gone back to you know a, a safe way of living. And I just, I refuse to do that. Cause to me, that's, that's not living. Like I'd rather take a risk on, on living my fullest potential than always ask why. And there's a quote from Dave Mira. Um, he's like, I'd always, I'd rather risk the, the, um how's it go? It's like, I'd rather risk uh, falling to know how it feels to fly. And it's uh-huh. like, that, that's, I love that. And that's, you know, where my tattoo fears as a thought, thoughts can be changed across my arms comes from. It's just, it's all in your head. The difference is getting out of your own way.
0: So what would you say to someone who's listening here who would say, gosh, Josh, that sounds great. And I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've put in the time. I've put in the energy. I've been relentless. I've had the delusional optimism and it hasn't worked. What do you say to somebody like that?
1: I would ask why. And then I'd say, I mean, why, why not later? Like, what's the rush? Like, it hasn't worked yet. I would just add that like, yeah, there's a word missing yet.
0: Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. See, there's, there's so many, uh, we talk about this a lot, you know, people see people succeeding and they start playing the comparison game and they start to go, gosh, well, I've done this, I've done that. And I've done this. And and sometimes I'll say, yeah, but what's your energy like? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because on a scale of one to 10, one being outrageous, one being it sucks, they're closer to the one. And therefore they're not matching up energetically with the right frequency around it. And sometimes it's about that pivot, right? Sometimes it's about that course. Correct. It's like, well, maybe that's not going to happen I have in the a way quote that you that wanted speaks it to happen. To that. It, What's
1: that? A, I said, I have a quote that speaks to that. And um, mm. actually, yeah, I, I can't find it right now, but it, it's something about giving up. Isn't giving up um, if you've put in the valid effort and you have to make a decision to change paths because you've learned so therefore, it's not really giving up. It's just moving on and advancing to the next thing. Uh, yeah. That's paraphrasing. It, it, it came from a TED Talk of a, a, a professional kayaker. Um, I think his name is Stephen Fisher. He's, a, uh, he's from New Zealand. That may yeah. not even be his name. But that's just what pops in my mind. But it speaks to that. It's understanding when when to stop and, and pivot. It's not giving up. And people beat themselves up thinking they're giving up and they're not accomplishing their goals But it's like, maybe that wasn't the right goal. Maybe you were coming from a place of lack and fear that you set your sights on this goal that actually wasn't the right target and you need to adjust the target. It's just about understanding yourself and where you are and the the energy you spoke
0: about. And being the seeker Mm -hmm. that you are, you're paying attention. You're, you're observing yourself, you know, as Dr. Joe would say, human beings are the only species on the planet that can observe their own thinking. You're, I think that's a quality that's super important is the ability to be able to, to observe yourself without judgment and be able to then course correct and pivot as needed and seeing everything that, that, that it wasn't a waste of time, that something wasn't a waste of time. That it was exactly the right time. And you don't get it until you get it. And then all of a sudden you course correct. Cause people just say to me, you know, when I was doing straight relationship coaching, they go, yeah, they talk about the, they always, have, somebody always had the one that got away. <laughs> And I was going, they didn't get away. It's a great story. It sounds wonderful. We can make a movie about it. But the yeah. truth of the matter is, <laughs> this is where you're at now. You This is not where you were then. And you have to respect the process for, for all of us. So before we close out, tell everybody a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, so it's, kind of how they gray, find your podcast.
1: it's called The Gray Matters Podcast. Uh, Jackie and I originally started together two or three years ago. And then I've kind of taken over the last two years. And I've just kind of run with it and done my own solo episodes. I've had friends, I've had strangers on there. I've used it as a place to challenge people that call me out saying that I'm disconnected from reality. I'm a superior complex and I invite them on to explain why. And then it turned into a beautiful conversation. Um, And so I just, I love just communicating with people and sharing other people's perspectives. And um, so, yeah, you can find that on on my website, joshperrybmx.com. Um, I have a podcast tab on there that brings you straight to it. My Instagram bio, um, you know, the link in there has got a bunch of different links. Um, Really easy to find me across social media. It's just at Josh Perry BMX across the board, whether
0: it's LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Now, here's my question before we close. Will you ever change the BMX on your handle on your Instagram? I've been trying.
1: I've been trying. Josh Perry (laughs) has been inactive since 2013, won't respond to my DMs and Instagram doesn't care enough about my uh, sad story of wanting my my full name and not the BMX <laughs> attached to it. But I just did uh, come across Joshperry.com is on sale for two grand, which is three grand less than it was five years ago. So um I'm about to buy that and um redirect it from Josh Perry BMX. But um yeah I've I've also embraced the BMX aspect sure. and I've I've taken on um, this belief that you know I'm not going to let that define me. I, it was for a while, but it's I, I've embraced that part of me because it's got me to where I am. So I've branded myself for 12 years now as Josh Perry BMX. And that's what you know, some people even refer to me as it, on interviews and stuff. It's funny. Um, so if that's what I got to do, you know, I'm going to, Well, and it's powerful. It. It, ha-
0: it has an association. It, it, it's, it's, it's powerful. So I, I wasn't suggesting you have to get rid of it. Yeah. I've tried.
1: I, I've looked into it. <laughs> okay. I've done a lot of research just, trying to figure it I out. I sometimes
0: look at, okay, what's the next level? You're now tumor free, right? You're ready yep. to, to go to that next level. So that could be a possibility as well. Listen, yep. I appreciate your spending some time here on um, Mondays of Mitch um, and uh, and really sharing your heart and sharing your journey. Because I think it's so important how you led yourself at a, at a young age and, and you were very fortunate to have that level of support from your family. Other people don't have that support, still find a way to lead themselves. But I think there's some through lines and some powerful experiences as a result of your journey that I think people can – can grasp and hold on to with the delusional optimism and the the willingness to pivot, the willingness to keep seeking, the willingness willingness to keep looking within um, is really a really super powerful quality. So I appreciate you investing some time and, and spending some time with me on this.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate the love and support that you've shown me over the years, you know, essentially a stranger. And you reached out to me from day one. And uh, it's meant a lot to me. And that's something, you, know, you mentioned people don't have the type of support that I had from my parents. And that's something I've put myself in a position to be because there was so many people that were virtual mentors, as I refer to it, that have helped me along the way, whether they knew it or not. Dave Mirro was one, and I became friends with him. Kerwin Ray has been another, and I've become friends with him. Um, it's not impossible. And so I want to put myself out there so that way people can find inspiration, support through me. And you know they don't have to play you know the card of, I don't have anyone because- there's so much content out there. There's so many people like myself willing to give their heart to other people. And you've done that to me. And I just want to keep paying that forward. So I appreciate you having me as
0: well and sharing the time. Absolutely. And, and really, I, when you think about it, nobody's a stranger. <laughs> we're, all, we're all figuring this out. We're all walking the path. And, and you know, consciousness is not a destination. Transformation is not a straight line. And I think the beauty is, is when we really genuinely understand that, Um it's effortless to be able to support other people who are seekers as well. So for sure. I appreciate it. We'll do this again for sure.
1: We'll have you on the Great Matters
0: Podcast. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Hey, so if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. So, you know, we can hang out every Monday. You can also follow me on Instagram at Life's a Mitch. And if you feel so inspired, make sure to tag me in your stories. I really appreciate hearing from people who are listening in. So if you have any ideas, any feedback, any questions, don't be shy. Please send them along. Who knows? Something you share or suggest may spark a future episode. So until next week, remember, life's a Mitch and then you thrive.